0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, and I appreciate you being with us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out if you are a commercial real estate agent or managing broker. It's the ultimate in training for successful and experienced agents, CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate, and uh, retail seems like to be the land of opportunity out there, right? There's a lot of people who are really doing well with their properties, and some people aren't doing so well. A lot of these properties are being kind of redeveloped for various uses, a lot of interest and maybe a lot of opportunity in retail real estate. Please welcome my first guest. It's Barbara Denham, and she's with Moody Analytics Reese, and she's joining us on the phone. Barbara, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Barbara, like I said in the opening, it seems like there's a lot of properties just really knocked out of the park and really doing well, but there's still some of those properties we see that don't seem to be doing very well. When you look at the market overall around the U.S., uh, is the sky falling on retail?
1: Uh, The sky is certainly not falling (laughs) on retail, but uh, the media would suggest otherwise. And um, the numbers are really what are important. And what we're finding is in this quarter the you know there are still more uh, store closures, there are more store closure announcements and more bankruptcy announcements, including forever twenty one you know Barney's a big retailer is hurting um, so the mall vacancy rate went up in the quarter to nine point four percent from nine point three percent but the overall neighborhood and community shopping center vacancy rate actually fell in the quarter to 10.1% from 10.2%. So we see this every quarter. We hear, you know, anecdotes about um, the apocalypse in retail, and yet the numbers show uh, positive occupancy growth overall, very low, but still positive, and even positive net rent growth overall. Uh, It was about 0.4% in the quarter, which is, you know, very slight year-over-year rent growth of 1.8%. So it's well below the rate of inflation, but it's not negative. Uh, And that's something that uh, you're not going to see in the standard media report because all you hear about are the store closures, not the stores moving into the closed stores.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to know that overall rents are really uh, increasing some, uh, at least a little bit. So when you look at the neighborhood grocery uh, kind of community uh, centers that Mm -hmm. we all See around us all the time with your current vacancy of 10.1%. When you look historically at that, Barbara, you know, through the, you know, the last decade or so, how, how does that compare? Is that really one of the best vacancy rates we've seen? Or are we seeing the market even better than that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the retail market was definitely better in the late 1990s. And even in the early 2000s, uh, we saw a much stronger rent growth you know above the rate of inflation so 4 or 5% year over year um so it's a different market definitely mm-hmm. and it's a harder for a developer or an investor um to invest in but what we're seeing is like you mentioned in the beginning there are some very healthy markets and some very healthy retail properties you know um most of that is driven by tourism so you see uh, the markets in Florida and California um, but even some, uh, you know, in suburban Virginia, doing pretty well year over year. So it's really about the market and the location of the property.
0: Right. but so you,
1: it's, it's not as bad. Sorry.
0: Right. And when you look at, say, pre-recession uh, days, uh, when the market was pretty robust, was a 10% vacancy about the norm?
1: will be the average you just saw a lot more booms and busts, Right. So it would uh, it would go as low at, you know it would go well below 10% in the in the good years yeah. and climb to close to 15% in the bad years. Uh, it's similar to office whereas now it's just held steady at point 10. 10. 10.0 or 10.5% well really over the last 4 or 5 years.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Barbara that some of the markets are doing really well. What are where are some of the uh, properties or markets where there might be opportunities?
1: Well, like I Probably have mentioned before, uh, if it's not tourism driving it, it's growth related to technology and those kinds of jobs and where young people want to be. So, um, you know, markets like, uh, Raleigh-Durham, Tacoma, uh, Nashville, uh, certainly Orlando and most of Florida are doing well. Charleston, another tourism town we're seeing healthy job, uh, job and rent growth. Um, you know, even a market like Boston is seeing healthy, uh, retail rent growth. Um, where you're seeing good job growth and, and tourism related is where you're seeing the rent growth and markets really in the Midwest and the Northeast that are struggling the most.
0: Yeah, Barbara, what about new supply in retail? Seems like we don't see many much pure retail being built. Uh, what's going mm-hmm. on there?
1: Well, we're still seeing some new retail being built. Um, very, very little, but uh, we still see some new supply. And another thing we're seeing is uh, we'll see a closed store at a strip center, like if it's a JCPenney or a Kmart, they may take that offline and tear it down to build multifamily or self-storage or they are redeveloped it as office or some other use. Um, so it's kind of a shift in the supply. Uh, and yet a lot of that space is being marketed by gyms and trampoline parks and other entertainment venues that are more service-oriented uh but, um, you know, we are still seeing developers interested in retail space. Because people are still spending their money. Uh, and even though e-commerce has really taken over so much of retail, people still want to go outside. They still want to go out and, and spend their money in some ways. And we're seeing that in not only in the retail sales statistics, but in the consumer spending statistics. People are still buying things um, uh, on a year-over-year basis. We're seeing growth.
0: Yeah. And these experiential tenants uh, are great to get people out, but uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned the trampoline tenants. I think and their business is sort of up and down, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to get that in there, right? So, I know. <laughs> so, Barbara, what do you see for uh, cap rate trends uh, in the retail world around the U.S.?
1: Well, cap rates are definitely trending upward, uh, and it's tough to see it. The thing about the trend in cap rates is that it's got a lot of What we call selection bias that means that you know the cap rate average is based on what trades in a quarter and if what trades in the quarter are really really high priced well-located properties they might have a lower average cap rate that will drag the average down even though the overall trend one would think would be that cap rates going up so we see a lot of volatility in the averages and we always are cautious about a trend, but nevertheless, I think overall, the average price paid for retail properties is going down, and certainly the net operating income is either moving sideways or staying the same, so that would make uh, cap rates generally go up a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, I'm going to be MCing at a, a Georgia Appraisal Institute's annual conference, you know, when we. And we look at cap rates for retail properties, you, you got to be real careful with the, some of the change in use. Like we just think we put it a contract, that $35 million center. And, but really half of that center is going to be torn down and, and it's going mm-hmm. to be redeveloped. So it's kind of hard to look at, well, you know, does the cap rate really matter on a deal like that, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you expect right. moving forward, Barbara, uh, for retail cap rates or, uh, or performance uh, overall?
1: You know, like you just mentioned, there's still opportunities out there. Maybe not the a retail property will be sold as a straight retail deal. Um, but you remember, the population and the job growth is still positive. And so people still need to get out and either buy groceries or, you know, buy furniture uh, or, you know, go to the gym and get entertained. So, you know, real estate is still a fixed um, commodity and... So I don't think it's a poor investment. You just have to be very careful about your, um, you know, your your retail base and your your consumer base there. Uh, but I don't think it's a it's a that's a bad investment. You just have to be very cautious about where you are investing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, we're all buy prop. We buy stuff ourselves, right? Your, your family, my family, so. When, mm-hmm. when, you, when you guys are, are buying things you need, you know, how much are you, are you guys buying online? How much are you actually going out in, into some of these stores?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's a the demand to see yeah. your, your, what you want to buy and feel it out and see compare it to other products. I think it's still very, very important to a lot of consumers. I really think e-commerce is a bit oversold, mm-hmm. uh, either with respect to clothing and shoes, but also with respect to electronics and furniture. So I, I I don't think retail as we know it is dead. I just think it's always in transition, and I think consumers will want to come into a store to check out the merchandise.
0: Yeah, I mean that's good to hear from you. You know, you're you're young and a hip person. <laughs> and
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, so are my teenagers.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, and my uh, my daughter, who's uh, 22, uh, was just buying some furniture, and she was uh, ordering it online. And I looked at the furniture, and I'm like that looks very uncomfortable don't you want to go somewhere and, and actually sit in the furniture that you're going to live with and she says no I'm good online I'm like okay <laughs> all right, we'll see what happens well Barbara thanks for joining us great information as usual
1: all right thank you Michael great talking to you
0: all right and uh, if you like more information uh, from Barbara their uh, their companies now called Moody Analytics Reese, and uh, you can find their website at reis, R-E-I-S Dot com. We'll stay with us. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This is Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by commercialagentsuccess.com. Check it out. It is the ultimate in commercial real estate agent training. Today we're talking about retail, and you cannot talk about retail today without talking about mixed-use development. It's where kind of the most dynamic retail is being built today. Please welcome my next guest. It's Gopal Rajagoda, and he is senior VP of real estate development with Related Companies, and he's joining us on the phone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And so you guys are doing some great developments around the country, and you know, as I mentioned in the opening. You really can't talk about retail without talking about kind of the mixed use environment and how, how it all how empowers uh, the various uses in your in your developments. And uh, you guys are doing what, Hudson Yards in New York and Rosemary Square and West Palm Beach. Tell us our listeners a, a, a briefly a little bit about what uses are involved in those and, and kind of the, the size of those projects.
2: Yeah, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, Well, Hudson Hudson Yards in New York is uh, is quite quite spectacular. Um, That's a multi phase project, uh, and it's the largest privately funded uh, development project in the history of America. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You know, uh, millions of square feet of office, residential, hotel, um, and retail, and 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 of course you know public space and art elements. And that project, again, very unique in New York City. It, It sits at the north end of the High Line. Uh, between 30th and 33rd Street, between 10th and 12th Avenue. On um, the other project you mentioned is a project I'm actually leading, and that's in West Palm Beach, and that's called Rosemary Square, uh, formerly a, pro- a lifestyle center project called City Place, um, that we're reimagining into uh, Florida's next exciting neighborhood, um, over 72 acres of land. And I think I think you touched upon, you know, what are the elements that we focus on that we spend. You know, many many hours thinking about in terms of creating environments that are exciting for the public, but also drive value for us in our in our in our real estate components. And that's great public spaces, great public art, experiential retail, great restaurants, um, um, and then of course, you know, the best in class density. Whether it's you know office for office workers, residential space, whether it's rental multifamily or condos. And then hotels um, to, drive, to tie in a, a really exciting tourist dynamic.
0: Yeah, I mean there's the size of those developments and how all those uses interact. Ooh. I mean you, you must be a conductor trying to put put all this together and help all these various uses kind of interact and power each other. It must be must be a blast. It must have some challenges, uh, especially with maybe some of the tenants uh, retailers who kind of aren't used to to that environment.
2: Yeah, you know, it's um, I, I like to say, you know, it, it's it's really an art form, and it's an evolving art form. And it's when you're when you're working in these in these really dense, exciting downtown environments, you really have to listen to the customer. You The know, customer being the local resident, the the local office user, and the tourist. Um, and, I, and I think I think you know we are long term holders, and we really cultivate these environments. Uh, well into the future. And, and, you know, we look at the data and we, we try to understand our consumers and we hear the feedback. Um, it certainly is challenging, um, you know, because when you have this kind of, this amount of retail or food and beverage or entertainment, um, you know, that's an evolving industry. So you have to sort of be in the mindset of continuous evolution and innovation because those those categories are cont- continue to evolve and innovate. Um, but you know, it's also very exciting because when you create a, um, a dynamic, successful environment, it usually creates an environment where more brands and more partners want to come in and want to be part of those environments that have proven to be successful, high footfall traffic areas.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting how you guys kind of started in the in the '70s uh, as a multifamily uh, developer and. And, and it's, it's interesting to see how the mixed-use environment powers multifamily. Uh, in the metro Atlanta, where our headquarters is, the highest rents reported the, on a report this morning, the highest rents in apartments in our metro area are actually uh, in, in and around a mixed-use development that is suburban. And, and it's not in Atlanta. So it's not in the areas of Atlanta you think would have the highest rents, like Midtown and Buckhead and Perimeter, which do have high rents. But it's this, this mixed-use that has... The highest rent, so, so, you guys coming from and kind of originally as a multifamily developer and now into mixed use, is is that kind of what brought you there? And and what are you seeing? Do you are you seeing higher rents and more demand in those mixed use developments than in your projects that you have or that you had uh, that weren't mixed use?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a really keen observation and great question. Um, you know, I mean, one, you know. One of the reasons why we spend so much time on the curation of, of what, I, what I'll call the curation at, at grade, at the ground, uh, one of the reasons is we, we believe in it. You've got to create an environment that people want to come to and get excited about, whether it's, you know, hanging out in the park space or experiencing great public art or going and shopping in the stores or dining in the restaurants. So that platform and that environment creates great long-term value for us in, in what I'll call the vertical components of the development. And we have found time and time again, if we get that curation right, it drives value in the residential or the office or the hotel. So um, I think you're right, you know, that um, people today, certainly younger people, and and I think, you know, the younger millennial and younger demographic is certainly renting more than buying in this environment. That's driven, um, you know, the rise of more multifamily in the great cities across the country. But certainly they want that convenience factor. They want to walk out and, be able to go to their favorite restaurant, or or go to you know amenity space where they can you know get their hair done, or or walk around the corner and grab their groceries, or or even walk to work, right? So I think that um, when you create that environment where everything is convenient uh, and accessible, um, it removes the need for the car to some extent, which is also another interesting trend we're seeing with the younger generation, um, um, and I think it creates an environment where. You know, if you do the math and you kind of think about it because time is money, um, you say, you know what, I'll pay a little more, but this is a great experience. I'm in the middle of it all.
0: Interesting. Are you seeing any of the kind of retailers out there that maybe have had some struggles uh, when they were in the malls or shopping centers that when they got into a mixed-use environment, uh, they had a little better go of it?
2: You know, um, another, another interesting and evolving question. Um, I, I, won't, I won't point to any specific brands, but what we're finding uh, today is, you know, a lot of the retailers, and, and then specifically the very successful ones, um, I mean, this doesn't, you know, this isn't an exact science and doesn't go for every scenario, um, but a lot of them are looking into these urban environments of growth versus the, the traditional mall. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, there's nothing nothing negative about the mall environment. There are some malls in this country that are very, very successful um, and highly curated and highly trafficked with great demographics. But I think a lot of brands today want to tie into this dynamic indoor-outdoor environment and tie in with the office workers and the residents and the tourists and be able to tie into the community. And, um, um, you know, there, there definitely are brands out there that are really only focusing on the urban environment and what we do versus, you know, the, the enclosed mall
0: environment. Yeah. And when I think of uh, mixed use, and I, I think of, you know, kind of the uh, outdoor feel and, and walking around on the streets with the with the parking and, and being outside. And imagine at Rosemary Square in West Palm Beach, uh, you're able to do that for quite a bit of the time. Uh, but when you go to markets where there's a little bit uh, colder environment, uh, you know, how do the mixed use environments work as well? And what do you have to do differently?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, you always got to take weather into consideration. I mean, I mean, you know, New York City, for example, uh, where you know, I spent a bulk of my life and, and my career, um, you know, which is where Hudson Yards is, I mean, you know, obviously there, you know, there's the changing of the seasons. And, and in winter, it doesn't stop people from getting to work or taking mm-hmm. the subway to work or walking to places. It's still a walkable place it just might be a little more difficult to get around when it's snowing, for example, right? So yeah. um, where I live now in West Palm Beach and where we're reimagining Rosemary Square, um, it's a walkable environment year-round. However, you know, in the summertime, it gets warm. So one of the reasons, one of the focuses for us has been public space and tree canopy and shade and finding places of, of respite from, uh, from rain. Um, so I, I think, you know, every environment... Um, has its own unique characteristics that we take into consideration, but I think any environment anywhere in this country um, it, it's generally if people can find ways to get outdoors um, that that really creates these special moments and occasions for us to celebrate nature and celebrate the outdoors and and tie into sort of um, you know these just really great indoor outdoor environments,
0: yeah yeah, I really like it and uh so let me ask you this, Paul, if retailers who have, have kind of traditionally not been in mixed use and now looking at mixed use, what are some of the uh, changes that, that they're tending to have to get used to? Are they, are they having to spend more money on CAM for maybe the marketing in, in common areas than they're used to? Or are they having to get used to kind of a different park arrangement? Uh, what do you see that uh, you kind of have to work through with them?
2: I mean, like I said, it, it, you know, every city is different, right? You have very little parking in New York City, and you know, less less dependence on the car, you know, because it's you know difficult to get around. In Florida, it's a little bit different, and people and people still um, people still uh, drive cars, right? So we still have, um, in a big way, we still have large parking garages. I, I, I think one of the things we focus on in a big way is, is the hospitality experience. So, you know, here we're really thinking about how do we incorporate rideshare drop-offs? How do we think about technology around parking garages? How do we think about the valet experience? Because, you know, when, when a consumer is driving to a space, you want to make that experience seamless from car to store or restaurant or public space or whatever they're coming to do. So certainly something we think about. Um, um, I, I think if you create a great enough experience, no matter where it is or how difficult it is to get to, people will want to get there. Um, so as long as when they get there, um, they're 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 being serviced with with an incredible environment. You know, that's yeah. that's really what we focus on.
0: And all that cost costs money and so yeah. I'd imagine that some of these retailers are paying a higher CAM charge uh that includes some of this marketing and common areas than they're used to. Would that be a correct statement?
2: You know, I mean, the, the common area of discussion is kind of again wide ranging. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that retailers and restaurateurs will be willing to pay whatever it takes, as long as they see an environment where they can have high sales. Right. It's it's always it's always a discussion, as you know, with retailers of, hey, what's my cost and what's my opportunity? Right. If they see the opportunity and they can hit the sales, they're more willing to pay the cost. And you know, I mean, on top of all this, is you know, not to spend a ton of time on it, but we, we live in a new world with regards to retail now, and there's a big focus on what we call omni-channel. Right. So retail retailers are also thinking about, how do I create experiences so consumers can connect with my brand? And that connection may not only be the physical sale in the store. It might be, um, how do I get someone to come to my store, fall in love with my brand? So when they go home and they go on the web, uh, they'll shop my brand and become a loyal brand. Loyal purchaser of my product, right? So so I mean I, there's a there's a quite a few dynamics out there, but getting back to your your question around Cam, I think you know, it just goes into the total rent discussion on what a retailer can actually um, swallow, if I'll say, um, um depending on what the what the sales opportunity is.
0: Right. And and how much are you guys involved uh in the kind of the social media and omni channel marketing of, of marketing uh your new developments uh and as I guess if you look back at, you know, back in the day, I think you know, developers didn't have to deal with any of that. But now are you having to kind of get involved in market uh, your developments in, in a big way to help the tenants and, and the development?
2: Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think, you know, again, we live in a new world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have iPhones 20 years ago when you know, this original development in West Palm Beach was built. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm putting in fiber under the roads. I'm putting in new Wi-Fi. We didn't know that Wi-Fi would be developed over a 20-year period. The the, the technology dynamic has has caused the pace of change to be extreme, uh, but it's also created interactivity and connectivity in a way that has allowed consumers to connect and understand um, the emotional vision behind brands visually. So we certainly have um, pivoted our marketing platform into heavy technology, social media, and the web uh, versus print and billboard, um, and 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 we think that you know it's been a really exciting tool to be able to um, to market um, these neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, and you guys have some remarkable de- developments. Hudson Yards thats uh, that's really been a trendsetter, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a spectacular. If you haven't been, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's um, it's really transformed the whole west side of Manhattan.
0: Yeah, and it's awesome. What would you leave our audience with uh, to think about moving forward related to mixed-use developments or retail?
2: What, what, what I would say is there's a lot of, um, there's been a lot of chatter over the last couple of years about the death of retail and there's been a lot of chatter about um, online, you know, everyone's shopping online versus buying in the store. What I will say is, because I speak to some of the biggest CEOs of the greatest retail companies in the world and I work with some of the best restaurateurs in the world, um, what I would say is, is um, it's, it's an over-exaggeration of what's happening. What's happening is, and this may be an overused word, but retail has pivoting to true experience, tying in community, tying in arts and culture, partnering with developers like Related to be in these dynamic environments that are going to be part of the future for long periods of time. So um, it's not that it's not the death of retail, it's the reimagination of retail, and it is the greatest day for the consumers on its way, and uh, I think that um, we, we as consumers um, in this in this world are about to see some really exciting things. And I'm excited to say that I'm part of that story, and I'm part of uh, you know as as the partner here on the ground in West Palm Beach for Related, um, I'm part of curating an environment that is going to be an exciting live work experience environment in the downtown West Palm. So stay tuned, lots of exciting things happening, lots of exciting people thinking about the future and uh... the physical retail experience is only going to get more and more exciting.
0: Well said, Gopal. Excellent information. And I totally agree. Retail is not dead. It's just being reimagined. and It is exciting. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate it.
0: And uh... yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when you think about retail and mixed use of multifamily, we're bringing a property to market that's 289 units. It's brand new mill that's been redeveloped. It's got retail and restaurants and experience. And when you go there, you look at this development and you go, I, I would love to live in this development. You know, the beautiful high ceilings and charm of the old space. And you walk out and you have restaurants and events and you have some office, you have some retail. It's just a, a really good environment. I think that is the future of uh, retail growth. So stay with us. We're going to have more on retail and commercial real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us.
3: Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CRE show. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.
0: Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by Commercial Agent Success Strategies. Check it out. It's cloud-based commercial agent training. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. Well, today we're talking about retail. We're talking about retailers and whether you're an investor, a landlord or a retailer, you want to know great methods to be successful in this real, in this online world that we're all in today. Please welcome my next guest. It's Soma Noma. Soma Noma, Noma is uh, with Botsify, and he's joining us on the phone. Soma, thanks for being with us, sir.
3: Yeah, thanks, Michael.
0: Well, Soma, one of the challenges that I think all of us that uh, experience when we're on websites and we're trying to contact companies, we're trying to buy or, or do business with them is you know, a lot of times uh, they don't have good contact information on there and you have a question. And if you if you go to their online question thing, you send it, and it's like you never hear from them, it seems, or by the time you hear from them, you've lost interest. Uh, you guys have a tool uh, that can help take care of that, right?
3: Yeah. So um, I'm Sama, and basically what our tool does it it integrates with your website. And uh, whenever your customer comes in, Or whenever anyone comes in with a question um, and asks a question to your live chat, our system is able to respond them immediately with the preset answers.
0: And and so yeah, so that's great. Because so if somebody's on the on the website and they want to know, hey, what sizes you have, or how fast can it ship, or they have a direct question, you can actually uh, set this this chat box up to know hey these are probably the top 50 questions that someone might ask and it automatically uh, gives them the answer right there right?
3: Right, yeah. exactly.
0: And what about, uh, and it's called on chat box, it seems like it's supposed to be live for the for the user on the website uh, can you also have someone monitor it uh, that uh, maybe would actually uh, be a real person answering these questions as well if you like at times?
3: Yeah, definitely. So what happens is um, whenever someone asks a question, uh, our AI, our technology looks into um, and see if uh, that question can be answered from the set of uh, pre-fitted and um, uh, predefined questions. and uh, if if it can be answered, uh, then it is answered immediately. If it's not, then your human agent is notified over the email, uh, on on their phone with a push notification, and they get to know that okay, there is someone who's uh, you know who might need my help, and they can immediately jump on uh, jump on the conversation and take over from the chatbot. And um, it's up to them whether uh, they want to continue. To, Chat um, impersonating as chatbot, or they want to introduce themselves um, as a as a human, so that the uh, so that the, um, user on the other end understand that um, okay, I'm, I've been you know taken care of.
0: And what if the user has uh, some uh, like pop up blocks and things on their um, uh, their computer? Will this still this chat box still show up?
3: Yes, um, basically this uh, chatbot works as a part of your website because when you uh, in- integrate our tool with your website, you're you know, basically adding our tool as a widget on your website. So, yeah, it okay. 100% works.
0: All right, and if somebody wanted to try this out on their website to, to see if it converted some uh, uh, leads, what might the cost be, and is there a kind of a trial period or, or, or a term that you have to agree to for it?
3: Right. So basically, we have two pricing models. One is a self-service platform because uh, our platform is so easy to use that anyone with, who is good with the computers can build these uh, these chatbots themselves. Because all they have to do is enter their uh, enter their um, you know frequently asked questions into our system. So uh, we have two plans. One is self-service plan, which is $50 a month. And um the other plan is fully managed plan where you do not have to you know worry about how how you how you want to build a chatbot. You just uh, you know forward us your frequently asked questions and uh, our team will take care of your chatbot and uh, will provide you monthly and weekly analytics analytics as well of how your chatbot is performing. Um, our team you know will also take care of the popular use cases where user, where chatbot is not able to answer the user and will take over the conversation and we can, you know, entertain the or answer the user questions uh, through the live chat. But if if we truly fails to deliver only then we engage your team.
0: Okay. And Is there a term you have to agree to or is it month to month? How does that work?
3: Yeah, it's uh, month to month.
0: Okay. Well, wow, that sounds like you could really just try it out and uh, see if it gives you a return, and if it doesn't, discontinue, and if it does, uh, keep rolling with it. So, anything else that maybe surprises uh, users when they add this to their website uh, that your clients have shared with you?
3: Sure. So, uh, this technology basically works with your website as well as for uh, as well as with your Facebook page. Um, so, uh, the technology can not only be used to answer the frequently asked questions, but also uh, it can be used to, you know, collect the information from the users, uh, like what's what's your name, what's your email. Uh, so, the chat chatbot, you know, can interact. Um, uh, like a human and ask and collect the information one after another. Um, And uh, basically, you can do the lead generation from this chatbot. And uh, once you have collected the information, you can, you know, send it over to your CRM or Google spreadsheet or your email uh, or fit into your custom um, custom database, whatever. Uh, You can do, you know, almost anything with that data which you collect from the chatbot.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. And I'm just thinking of the many uses for a lot of our listeners, whether they're uh, retailers or uh, uh, even landlords that uh, someone comes to their website, uh, they can start gathering information about, hey, how much space do you need? How many employees do you have? When do you need it? Uh, And, uh, you know, what's the best time and place to to reach out to you, right? Right. Definitely. Uh, That's excellent. Well, Sama, thanks for joining us. It sounds like a great product. I'm sure a lot of people want to try it out. And uh, thanks for being with us today.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Michael.
0: And uh, if you'd like to check it out, their website, it's botsify.com. That's B-O-T-S-I-F-Y, botsify.com. Well, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate you sharing the show and commenting and connecting with us on your favorite social media. Uh, be, ter- be sure to be with us next week. Until then, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial agent success strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.